0: welcome to the lounge. I am so thankful, grateful, and appreciative of our guest for today, which is the one and only Mikelisano. So give it a round of applause for her. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate you. I
1: appreciate you too. I'm excited to be here.
0: As been stated before, the purpose of this podcast is really just to, one, encourage any Black or Brown person of color who's in education to stick with it. If this is your first year, please don't give up <laughs> if it's your second year again please don't give it up if it's your third your fifth your tenth or whatever year that you may be in like you are very much appreciated and the purpose of the podcast is just to for me to in all honesty to be able to continue to speak with like-minded individuals people who I think are dope and who can uh, drop some gems and cover just to keep doing the work that we're doing so Mickey thank you for being here
1: excited thank you for asking me and having me
0: yeah and so to to begin with I like to just start off with like what brought you to this space of education
1: I would say to be very honest I fought it my dad was a teacher in Haiti and I grew up with people uh, coming up to him and like thanking him I used to be like that's so weird and I'm never gonna do that I was his thing and then I like you know, had, I've always had, I've always been someone who had a plan in my life. Mm. And so I went into college being like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I was a pre-med major. Um, I did my four years and in my fourth year, definitely had just like a meant like a personal introspective moment of like, do I need to continue schooling for four, six, eight more years to be able to help people? And I'm like, I don't think the answer is yes. I think that I can help people without having the MD at the end of my name. Um, But because I was a planner, I had only planned my life towards that goal. Mm. And so I had a job. My parents were always supportive of whatever I did, but their end goal was always that I could sustain myself. Um, And I didn't know what that job was. Uh transparently, I thought that I'd be a lab rat, like I'd go work in a lab and do some research because I, I kind of went with what I did in college. I had a friend in college who had a campus job and it was to give tours and he couldn't make a tour. And he called me and he was like, I really don't want to let down this group of kids. Can you do the tour, even if it's not like the official tour route? And I was like, sure, I'll do this. I like met up with a group of kids and they had a Latina teacher and they're like very well dressed, very well spoken. And we were speaking. I was just impressed that they had at like seventh grade, a Latina math teacher. I grew up in a city that was like 90% Latinx and I had mm-hmm. never had a Hispanic or Latino teacher until I got to high school. Oh, for them to, to be interacting with her and asking these questions. And I was like, man, what school do you guys go to? Um, and so she told me the name of the school and I like, she was like, come visit. I went, I visited. I met the principal who was a Haitian American woman. And she was-
0: this
1: <laughs> She was like, she like sold me on this concept. I told her, I was like, I don't have a job and I'm about to graduate in June. And she was like, come back. I will interview you. Uh, She interviewed me and the only job they had was like an associate math science teacher role. And she was like, listen, it's the bottom of of the barrel. But if you stick with it, I will train you. I'll invest in you. And, you know, you're going to have a job. And that's how I got started. I started as an associate math science teacher. And that first year was rough. And so like, that's how I got into education.
0: What has kept you in this work so long?
1: I think similar to kind of the point that you made before we started recording, just like the self-awareness that there aren't a lot of people who look like us doing this work. Mm. I was where, like, I do some consulting work for Teach for America and we like pulled up some statistics and I think there are like 11% of principals who are Black. 11 out of 100%, like 11. Yeah. So like, that's not that many. It's so critical for a person of color to be in certain roles. Um, If we think about like the anti-racist work that people are saying that they're doing, Mm -hmm. doing anti-racist work, if the people who are being oppressed aren't telling you what's the problem, right? And so like, I think that there are moments where I recognize the criticalness of me being in certain rooms at certain tables, being like, whoa, that policy isn't going to work or that decision is going to have this negative impact or I was, you know, in a family with two working parents and that that time isn't going to work or how you're understanding the situation might be missing some details that might be leading you to be making assumptions, right? I also like, I genuinely like what I do and not a lot of people can say that. Like I like to tell people, my parents came to this country. Like, you know, people say, oh, my parents came to the country, give me a better life. Yeah. Yeah. My parents came to the country so I could have the choice to do a job that I really like because they did jobs that they didn't really love for so many years. So it feels like I owe it to them to be able to wake up. Every day isn't rainbows and sunshine and all that. But at the end of the day, I like what I do. And like, that's not true of everyone. And that's a privilege that I have that I want to make sure I like lean into that. And I tell people like, there's a day I wake up and I don't like what I'm doing. Guess what? That's the day where I need to put in my notice and find something else that fills my cup in that way.
0: Which is why one, thank you. And thank you for saying the thing out loud of whoever's listening to this, who's getting into education, just know that from the jump, like, do not think, Oh, after 10, after five, 10, 15, Twenty years, like, oh, I will be compensated my true value. You will not. You will not. Mm-mm. But do know, like Mickey was saying, that you are doing it because you love to do it, and that if you if you keep that in mind, that you love to do it, and you and you truly love to do it, then yes, please keep at it. But I also want to say, with that same breath if that day comes too, where you're just like, look, I am not happy doing this. Yeah. Hang it up. Because I think the worst thing is having a teacher who just doesn't care or who's so unhappy that it's so visible day in and day out. And our kiddos, look, kiddos, period. They can read. They are very attuned to like, oh, this person, really likes what they're doing. And kiddos will tell you, whether they're telling it to you verbally or you hear it by chance. I just remember a parent saying to me, like, mister, um, you must you had a really bad day the other day. I don't know what happened in class, but my, my kiddo came home and told me about it. And I was just like, mm. what happened? Mm. Oh yeah, that was a day that my tank was on E, gas prices had gone up. And I'm saying to myself, from the jump, not even speaking to the kiddo yet, they they know like, oh, Mr. Pierre, it's going to be a funky day. I got to be on my toes. And I was just, I said to myself after that second year, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I got to be the sun. I have to every day bring that warmth of no matter what the kiddos can be the planets that rotate and Mm -hmm. they can fluctuate and they win. They will. But me as a teacher, I have to be that consistent human being to let them know like, and also just name it like, you know what kiddos? today because of xyz i'm not giving you everything because that's not but give mm-hmm. you context of like yeah i am feeling these feelings mm-hmm. and this is how i'm going to speak on it this is how it's going to come out so if you do see me it disappears a little funky today you know the reason why and i'm honest about that i also mm-hmm. think that was something in the beginning too was just like oh i can fake the funk and the kids was like there is no
1: you make it no, it's, it's, no. It's, it's okay to be real and present yeah and I think even for me the necessity of acknowledging the real is even more pertinent for me like I'm I have a school leader I have 50 staff who are adults right so mm-hmm. maybe fake it with kids but even adult adults you can't fake the funk right and so like Not being able to be authentic and name when something's wrong, name when something's amiss is wrong.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Back to your original question, one of the things I thought about also is there are genuine schools that aren't physically, emotionally, psychologically safe. I know of people who went into this work that are being traumatized by staying in those environments and sometimes kind of like, you know, have you ever like talked to parents who's or people grown adults whose parents divorced like it was funky my parents said they were staying for the kids but it wasn't it wasn't working it's the same thing if you're in a school and the school is not functional and you are being traumatized and bad things are happening because they do yeah who's staying there for the kids yeah. a it's not good for you and it's not good for the kids and so like if you're in that position leave and me being in, that posi- in my position, being able to tell somebody it's okay to take a break, it's okay to step away, it's okay to change locations is critical because not going back to the piece around explicitly saying, not a lot of things are being explicitly saying to educate.
0: Like the gems of recognizing one, to be able to give, you have to give yourself first. Like it sounds, or there are times when you might be made to feel that you're doing something wrong, but please understand that you're not like I, I understand like that analogy of like if the plane's going down and the, the air, things drop down like you have to put yourself on first before you take care of your child. Because if you get knocked out. The kiddo is not going to be able to take care of themselves, so to be able to take care of yourself, however, may that be the five minutes like you mentioned, take care of yourself so that you can then empty your cup into someone else, because if your cup is empty or if you're running on drops, it's going to catch up to you. I think that is one of the gems I hope whoever's listening to this takes away. Know what your brownies are, be explicit about them, and be okay with them. Be okay to say them out loud to whoever your your coworkers are. Be okay to say that to your boss and know that, hey, when you say it, if the reaction is something like, oh, a gas, then know that, hey, this person doesn't respect boundaries, so this person is not going to respect you Mm -hmm. because if they're not okay with you saying like, Hey, this is the line. If it's, if the school day ends at four and you want me to stay till five, am I going to be compensated for that extra hour? Like you stated, am I going to then be, if I do stay till five, does that mean then tomorrow or later this week, I get that hour back because that is one of the things that I think is so unspoken of like, Oh, you have to do this. You have to do, it's not explicit. It doesn't, it's not in like the handbook. But when you see others doing it and you feel like you must do it or they're accustomed to do it because they've been accustomed to do it and not like stop and say like, oh, me doing what I can do in these eight hours or when I'm here is okay. And that this work will be here tomorrow. It'll be here the next day. It'll be here the next day. I'm not going to fix everything today. And that's okay. <laughs> And if there's a boss who's unreasonable about that or a coworker or someone above you, a manager, then know that, Oh, okay. Then this is going to continue. Like this is people will continue to do what you allow them to do. And in setting those boundaries from the jump, I think is one of the smartest and healthiest things that you can do, but you have to know, know, and be okay with that.
1: I think also like as educators, I feel like at some point I was like super judgmental, right? Like if you're not, if you're not where the highest need kids are, are you really doing valuable work? Yeah. Now, years later, I'm like, listen, I was in a neighborhood where the needs were exceptional, and, and I'm in a different neighborhood now where the needs are, there are still needs, but it's not it's not asking as much of me. And there might be another time in life where I feel like I have enough in my tank to go back to that higher need community. Mm-hmm. now for me baseline, I want to be in a community where I know I'm serving primarily black and brown children and it's okay if that means that perhaps I'm working in a private school setting where there mm-hmm. are demands that might mean that I'm in a public school setting and I get to do certain things or a Montessori setting or like an alternative school setting right like I I like years later have been like oh there's there's value in doing the work wherever you're doing the work right and like I think that that's something I had to grow into because I'm like I'm about the thing and because yeah. the thing that means these kids they're like they gotta be sixth grade <laughs> and we gotta catch them up in that one year and then it's okay like I literally was like
0: huh. I have not had
1: a singular interaction with the
0: police this year.